All right, it's a Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. If you have ever traveled with kids, you know that it's a, um, it could be a challenge, but then there are those moments where you're like, oh my God, little Johnny just tried guacamole for the first time, or little Sarah ate sushi for the first time. And there's something like sort of unlocking and enlightening about travel. And given all the challenges, it's kind of worth it. So we brought in Jenny Rosenstrack, BA contributor who runs the website Dinner A Love Story, also wrote the book Dinner A Love Story, and her new book, Dinner The Playbook, and How to Celebrate Everything. God, Jenny's writing a lot of books. Jenny knows all things about food and kids and travel and all that. So Jenny and I and Carla Lolly Music, our food director, sat down and uh, traded, I don't want to say war stories, but yeah, you know, the good, the bad, and, and, and the hungry of traveling with kids. And then after that, we've got Nick Palmgarten, New Yorker writer, uh, who did a wonderful piece for us uh, a few months ago in Bon Appetit on Malden Sea Salt. Nick traveled to the town of Malden. Yes, there's a town of Malden uh, on the coast of England to see how Malden became Malden. All right, let's do this thing. Here is Carla, Jenny, and I. Jenny Rosenstrack, welcome back to the pod. Thank you so much for having me. You just got back from a two-week vacation in Hawaii. <laughs> I know, I know. Everyone, when I tell that to people, the first reaction is, is good for you. Like, oh, as wow. if it's so impossible <laughs> to do this. But I didn't feel like there was any other option. I'm go- going from New York to Hawaii. Like, you know, we... We carved out some serious time. I was like, that's like some serious 1970s Brady Bunch action. We're going to Hawaii yeah. for two weeks. I we, think it's the way to do it. Sounds great. I mean, it was the first time any of us had ever been there. We had a lot of islands to cover. We had a lot of food to eat. So, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know anyone, Carla, do you know anyone? Who was the last person in BA to take a two-week vacation? I mean, God bless you for doing this. I am fully, see, in, see, I am fully yes. in favor of this. It was technically 12 days, if that makes you feel any better, uh, well, but it was two full work weeks. It's, yeah. it's funny that you ask. Because <laughs> From August 1st to 19th. <laughs> no, literally, I'm leaving on the 27th. Mm-hmm. Where are you going? Montauk. Montauk, okay. So just, Yeah, just, I'm, I'm like, not in Hawaii, yeah. but you know, yeah. you can call me. Let's update our kids, because we're talking kids, we're talking eating with your kids on vacation, cooking with them, what you might bring back from vacation. You got two. I got two. They're 15 and 13, which is... Are, a, we, are we talking names? Can we talk names? We can talk names. Sure. Yeah. Phoebe is my 15-year-old yeah. and Abby is my 13-year-old. Both soccer players? One cross-country runner, former, oh. former soccer player. Oh. Now cross-country. Phoebe has just completely just... It's cross-country has eaten up every every one of her passions. It's crazy. She's That's so, so obsessed. Cool. Soccer was too much fun, so she just wanted Way to really... Way too much fun. Thank God sport. my younger daughter, Abby, is still is still playing because that's... I just... I love soccer. All right, Carl, what do you got? Uh, in the children department? Yeah. I have a 13-year-old omnivore named Leo and then a seven-year-old very, very selective eater named Cosmo. And I have a nine-year-old Marlin also in the selective eating camp. So, Jenny, let's talk about... Yeah, this this trip to Hawaii, uh, mm-hmm. I hear there's a lot of poke going on. And how did this trip compare to maybe when the kids were really young in terms of what they would be willing to eat? Oh, I mean, it was it's one of the reasons why we did this trip now was because I refused to go anywhere nice when they were little because I didn't feel like <laughs> they would ever appreciate it. I yeah. mean, I would like to think maybe a, you know, a toddler would appreciate Hawaii just because it's so beautiful, but... We're going to spend this much money. We're going to make sure that they, you know, that they really get into it. And they, here's, I will just start out by saying that my 13-year-old Abby is now, um, she's like, she's a huge help with planning the trip too. So wow. she mm. actually looks at like all the travel guides that you guys do. And, um, you know, f- she found, we knew where we were eating for the first like five days of the trip because she, she loves sushi. And so she, we told her all about poke. And so she wanted to find the best places and we didn't go to all of them. You know, we didn't go by her schedule exactly, but she interested in internships. She would love it. Believe me. <laughs> she needs a job this summer. Oh my God. So maybe I should bring her by, but she, no, no, I mean, um, like at my apartment. I'm not here. Just help. No, she, um, so she, you know, the poke there though, you don't really have to do any research because you can go, have you been there, Adam? I, the last time I was in Hawaii was after I graduated college, like okay. 1993, and I had no idea what poke was at that okay. point. Now, yeah. like, it's everywhere. And every, right. It's everywhere in America right now. Like, going to a gas station. Yeah. The gas station convenience store is pr- probably really good. It was good. amazing. Yeah, like, you could just go to, there was just, like, kind of this... Um, it was like a bodega type place on the corner of our 
um, street in Honolulu. And we just, it looked like nothing on the storefront. And then you go in and you have the most amazing fresh tuna and the girls just loved it. So, so. Like in terms of poke and what they like, in terms of like the, the high versus low or creative mm-hmm. versus really simple and traditional, give us the spectrum. Well, we, I would say it ranged, but there, it, you know, I was reminded of how easy it was to make at home because like the simplest one was just really fresh tuna with, um, you could get those great Maui onions there. So they were super mm. sweet. I wouldn't try that here just because I feel like, I don't know. I Even would, with a Vidalia, you think that would be? I don't know. I just, I'm, I am very sensitive with onions. I don't yeah, like things too, too oniony. So I don't, I guess I usually use scallion when I do these things, but I'm sure that that is very, someone's going to get mad about that. And I'm sure that's not authentic, but, um, so usually it's tuna, avocado, like sesame seeds or crumbled uh, seaweed. That's mm-hmm. the basic. But then, you know, we would go. What about a dressing of some sort? Oh, and like a, either a ponzu or a soy sauce and rice wine vinegar. Yeah. That's sesame what I was oil. picking up. What, sesame oil. What about yeah. the mayonnaise based ones? Did you, did you encounter that? We we tried them. I had that. My first poke bowl there was like a miso mayo-y mm. thing, and I regretted it. I have to say, everyone else really? ordered. It, it was fine. It was fine. But the the simpler ones that everyone else ordered, I I was coveting. So I like the ones that just have a dollop of like creamy spicy sauce. So yes. basically mayo and yeah. you know chili garlic sauce mis- mixed together. Mm, yeah, Yum. just a know, little there. Yeah. yeah. So, Carla, if you now, if you let's say you're on this fantasy two week vacation that you went on the prices right to Hawaii, uh huh, um, and you got Cosmo and Leo with you, yeah, would Cosmo try the poke? So, this is an added like wrinkle. So, in addition to him being kind of particular or having a very kind of He's really <laughs> dialed in his palate, knows his, knows what he likes. Mm-hmm. He also is allergic to sesame oh. and some nuts. So that's like an added sort of travel thing. So he wouldn't really be able to have any of that mm-hmm. because of the sesame oil and the sesame seeds. Like it's yeah, just, you just in everything. So um, he would eat a lot of rice and beans. Mm-hmm. What, so when, you, when you've gone on vacation with the kids, yeah. what successes have you had in sort of getting them to try new things yeah. that they would not have tried back, in, back, back home? Well, I, I, I generally rely on one of my basic how to get a kid to eat something that they might not choose to eat, which is make sure they're really hungry. <laughs> this is a technique that I learned from my sister, Nina, who when she would babysit for my kids, she would always start dinner really late because she's awesome. They're having too much fun. And then she would give them like crudite or a salad pre-dinner. And she was like, they always eat it. And I'm like, right, because they're starving. So if you put that <laughs> down like with pasta, like of course they'll eat the pasta first and then be like, I'm full. I don't, I would care not to have that. So that's one thing. Like I think if you're on one of those beachy vacations and you're swimming and you're surfing and you're, you know, boogie boarding and running around and doing all that stuff, then you sit down to eat and like those kids are hungry. So you can kind of get them to try, to try new things. I'm trying to think, I think that was the first time Cosmo ate, so this is the thing with him. He ate raw oysters, like what? no problem. Wow. Like Knowingly? Yeah. We were like, these are oysters. This is how you do it. <laughs> Did you he know? Like and where, he, where was this? This must have been in Montauk, I'm guessing. Uh-huh. And he devoured them to the point where we're like, whoa, buddy, slow down. Yeah. You know, like I was like. Did you have a lot of like, like cocktail sauce on there? No, he was, I was like, try it with lemon. And you know, he was just like, yeah. they were just disappearing. He loves raw oysters. Really weird. He likes salami. So I know that it's not so his funny. palate. It's just mm-hmm. like, he likes what he likes. So I think the oysters was a big thing. I think that same trip um, was the first time that he had like mussels, steamed mussels with shallot and, you know, just the yummy pan juices. Um, He'd never had them before. We ordered one big bowl for the table and then had to get another one because he ate all of them. Oh, my God. Like with the little wooden fork thing, he was just going to town and <laughs> dipping into butter. I was like, who are you? Yeah. But then when we went to Rome. He he only ate spaghetti carbonara like literally for lunch and dinner for five day, five or six that, days. That actually sounds pretty good. <laughs> I know. And he even, it's like his favorite pasta, but even he at the end, like on the sixth but day. He, is this something you had made at home prior? Yeah, he had had that before. 
But so the part of the like, we're going to Rome, we're going to eat this and that and this. And he was like, I'll just have the pasta carbonara. And we're like, okay, that's but, the only uh, thing you want to have. The good thing about Rome is basically it's like it is the same menu at every restaurant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, exactly. I hate to say that about Italy, but a lot of those towns, like, yeah, it's a traditional menu and every restaurant does its own slight version of it, but it's basically the same set of dishes. Yeah. And we were there with my parents. So his grandparents who, you know, the whole time leading up to the trip, my dad was like, you, you won't believe it. Everywhere you go, they have pizza, pasta. <laughs> <laughs> and gelato and Cosmo was like when, where are we going to this fantasy land this is amazing but even by day six he was like eh, I'll try a different kind of pasta so did he what did he try um like, probably like, car, like, like fetish Alfredo <laughs> red sauce maybe yeah. but he also ate a lot of fried squid so that's another one he'll mm-hmm. eat good. yeah he'll that's do good. the calamari thing um did Some you congeal maybe one uh-huh. or two gelato a day oh two yeah. Yeah. And that's when I also learned that he was a like a lemon sorbet guy. Who is what, what I where know. did you find this kid? I don't even know. <laughs> is he it was too like, is it too late to return him? We're like, there's this, there's that, there's the you know, he can't have a hazelnut, so he can have any of the nocciola, but he was like, I'll Do, have the lemon sorbet. Does, and we're like, oh okay. <laughs> does he know they have chocolate gelato? No, he's not a chocolate person. It's oh my so gosh. crazy. Stracciatella. Uh huh. I like that one. Wow, that's shocking. Well, all right. What about okay? What about do speaking of two gelati a day? <laughs> is there a suspension of usual eating rules when you're on vacation? A hundred percent. Yes. So, so give me some examples of what you do at home and what oh, you do on vacation. Oh God, you would be so horrified if you looked at our shopping cart when we go when we shop for like the rental. Our it's like the rule that the pop tarts go in first. My <laughs> husband. So you spend a lot of time know. in South Carolina, right? Sometimes yes. on vacation. Yes, we we spend Was, time in. Did Hawaii replace that mega mm. road trip that you guys take? Um, yes, yes. We this try year. to do one big trip a year, and that was obviously that one. But even in Hawaii, we had the Pop-Tarts, I'm embarrassed to say. Let's say you're down in, in that uh, Kiwa area. Mm-hmm, you're mm-hmm. going shopping. What's going in the cart? Um, well, you know, there's the two, there are two shops. There's the, the, oh, um, I, I didn't, no, I didn't know this. There's the Piggly Wiggly shop or okay. the, it's, um, I think it's like Harris Teeters now, maybe. Mm-hmm. I can't remember down there, the one that we go to. But so we'll get all of the Pop-Tarts and the, What kind of Pop-Tarts? Um, frosted cinnamon, always. Yes, yeah. I, that's, I'm that's not my a pop fav- tart person, so these people get religious about it. I know, I, but I, I, I know. do think mm-hmm. if I had to choose, I would definitely do the frosted cinnamon toasted because then they become very fragrant and crispy, yeah. much better than not toasted. Although I find the kids always like the like the strawberry with the sprinkles yeah. because they see the yeah. sprinkles, they, they think like they those. think that's gonna be better, uh-huh. but it's not. <laughs> no, they go they go untoasted. Everyone in my what? house, I know. Really? Amateur move. Even Andy, your husband does he, that, he, especially Andy. Wow. He taught them, he taught he'll them be, all these things. He'll be getting an email. Um, but yeah, then we get, you know, I mean, it's just embarrassing how many chips and we get so much Gatorade and so much Coke. And Gatorade. we don't have these things. Gatorade. We have Gatorade at home sometimes because. Because are athletes. Or yeah, you know, I mean, yeah. not, I'm sure we, yes, we have it at home. So I grew up uh, drinking a lot of Coca-Cola. Okay. And I, before I started drinking coffee, I would always have to have a Coke every single day at lunch, like period, with a can of Coke on ice. Uh, my friend Brian Baker has a Coca-Cola tattoo on his arm. I, would, wow. I considered getting one of those. Um, but then just like yesterday, we was at this brewery out on Long Island and like we was having lunch and I wasn't drinking beer. I had like a BLT with some fries and I, was, I got the little like the eight, 10 ounce bottle. What are the little bottles of Coke? The little glass bottles. How many ounces is that? I think they have an eight. I don't know. And maybe? like a 12. Maybe it's or- a 12. Um, and they didn't have ice at this place. So I'm like, all right, I'll just drink it out of the bottle. I couldn't finish the bottle. Hmm. It was too sweet. Was it cold? It was cold. It's but different I, when it's from a bottle versus on ice, don't you yeah, think? Yeah, on ice I can uh-huh. drink a lot. Like yeah. If you're at a pizzeria and you have yeah, a big yeah. cup with the crushed yeah. ice, I can uh-huh. drink a lot of that with the salty. Uh-huh. But I, it was odd. I was like, I'm like, yeah. nope, I'm done. Don't need any more of this. Interesting. It was, doesn't. Maybe on vacation it would not be the same, though. Oh, uh, What kind of <laughs> chips do the kids get? <sighs> Ruffles. Cape Cod, too. Cape Cods are great. Um, I'm yeah. a Lay's person, Adam, and I have thought about this. Okay, already. when uh-huh. you're Pringles. all right, we so, like all all right so the beach <laughs> the beach rental is an interesting thing because mm-hmm. vacation wise, that's different than if you're in a foreign city where you're going out to eat all the time. Mm-hmm. So you got your little rental situation. Mm-hmm. Is it one of those deals where you would make dinner, then you're like, oh, now we're going to the soft serve place to get ice cream, or do you have dessert at home? You know what I mean? Um, we we sort of mix it up. We do both. There's always an ice cream run at some point in the day. So yes. if we've done it in the afternoon, then we probably won't go back. I mean, maybe we will, but um, soft serve or hard scoop. It, it, we would do soft serve if it was available in South Carolina, but 
but what, uh, what, like, but legal reasons? Scar- no, they're just, if there's just not syrup? one that's within like you know a bikeable distance. You know, I don't a, understand. I don't understand mm-hmm. who kids. I was out on Greenport, Long Island, a couple weeks ago. Marlon had his friends Max and Jonah out, who are twins, and they were, they went to the ice cream place because whatever they're kids and they feel like they deserved ice cream. Even sure. Though, I don't know why, but I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> you can have your ice cream. I'm tired. I'm hungover. Take your ice cream. So they go in, Marlon orders ice cream, Jonah orders ice cream. Max tells his mom, I want candy instead of ice cream. And Solana says, well, no, we're at an ice cream place. You don't go get, it's like you can have ice cream, but we're not going to get candy. He's like, no, no, no. That's what I, I want. I want candy instead of ice cream. Like, well, and she's like, that's not an option. This is an ice cream shop. You get an ice cream. He's like, well, I don't want ice cream. So what he, happened? He didn't get either. Oh. And it was such an amateur move. So he, he walked out of there like pouting and like angry and crying. And I'm like, dude, you could who says no to ice cream? I was like, what a oh my God. I hate to judge nine-year-old boys, but that was a, I would never seen a hand played so badly. I this is not a unique thing. Cosmo's done the exact same thing. Like at at the beach where you go up to the oh, yeah, shack yeah. and he's like, I want a ring pop. And I'm like, no, we're no, getting we're no. getting popsicles. He's they, like, they, I would rather have a ring pop. And I'm like, that's crazy. They think they're strong arming you. And you're like, you have no leverage, kid. Okay? You have no money in your pocket. You don't even have pockets. You're wearing a bathing suit and no shirt and flip-flops. <laughs> but and from their perspective, it's like, whatever. It's all candy. It's all stuff but they, that they have, they have no perspective. That's a problem. <laughs> the other problem is I don't understand people who don't get the twist. If you're at soft serve, why would you not get the twist? I don't like the vanilla. What? I don't know. I, I think chocolate overwhelms the vanilla. So I oh will only get the vanilla. Interesting. Yeah. That, is mo- that is the most boring thing I've heard today. Yeah, I know. You get the chocolate, right, Carla? Yeah, but I'm a yeah. hard pack. If I have a choice, I'm going to get a hard pack. Oh, gosh. Okay, so so <laughs> we had a moment. We had a breakthrough. All right, so Marlon is he's a big boy, but he, yeah, we. I can't decide if I'm a terrible dad or he's a terrible kid in terms of what Maybe he it's both. Maybe it's both. <laughs> No, he's a great kid. Um, but so we were skiing uh, back in March. Uh, lucky to be skiing out in Jackson Hole, uh, which is awesome place. And we were at the little restaurant at the bottom of the mountain. And Simone was like, all right, well, Marlon, you can have the chicken tenders and fries, but you need to have a salad first. And it's just like, oh. and she's like, why don't you try this Caesar salad? You're really going to like it. So it's like, we order the Caesar salad. And next thing you know, he's actually like picking up the lettuce and eating it. And then, of course, eating the croutons. Great. And now he's like a Caesar salad <gasps> fanatic. And like that's all. We, of course, we don't tell him there's anchovies or egg yolks Never. or anything like that in there. We don't tell him how it's made. But he's like, he loves Caesar salad. He went over to his Uncle Andy's for dinner the other night. And Andy had to make him a Caesar salad. Awesome. And we thought that for us, that was a big win for a kid who just, you know, is allergic to anything green. Yeah. You've told me in the past that Marlon just does not eat vegetables. No, and neither do I. I mean, I didn't eat vegetables since I was 21, as I've talked about before. Right, but you guys eat now plenty I love of vegetables. He, he's yes. growing up in a house with plenty of vegetables. Plenty of vegetables. So anyway, so that was an interesting thing where we, we, we took something back from a vacation that we successfully sort of incorporated into our daily routine or weekly routine at home. Are there any experiences like that that when you guys went away that you sort of brought stuff back with you, either one of you? Hmm. 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 I mean, I think the the breakthrough of Cosmo eating all those mussels when we were at, you know, sitting out at the the dock in Montauk and they're super fresh and great. I wouldn't have cooked those for him at home until I saw the, how yeah. much he loved them. So, so then it was now, like, yeah, and now it's like, that's, that's an option. Like you will have steamed mussels. And it's also opened up an option where he'll have it at other restaurants now because he... Does he try it different it. ways? Like, oh, I'll go more Asian-y with some lemongrass. And no. <laughs> no, I don't know. Like, you know. Baby steps. Remember, remember like in the 90s? He's when not all, cooking yet. But remember in the 90s in New York City when all those Belgian restaurants were opening? Yes. There was like this the new. Frites places mm-hmm. Yeah, but everywhere. then like the place, there was like Waterloo in yep. the West Village and that place with the weird tunnel thing like on Lafayette. But they were all doing like creative muscle dishes. I do remember that. Yeah, so he's not down with all creative. He just wants muscles one way. Yeah, pretty much. He wants to like butter, shallot, brothy, and then ideally there would be a sidecar of melted butter for dips. Nice. Yeah. That, but that's not typical, is it? That seems more lobster typical, but, you, you know, it. sell it yeah. however you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I and I was going to say about Marlon, one other thing you could maybe, I don't know if you've tried this, but if he already loves the Caesar dressing, then you could maybe try like some cut up cukes with the Caesar dip. Hmm. Interesting. A few croutons, you know? Yeah. 
and like see if that'll get. Mm-hmm. I also find that letting children eat with their hands is like another way to just, I don't know why they, they take food cool. tastes better somehow. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot, mm-hmm. listen, a lot of it is, as you mentioned uh, with Cosmo, I mean, p- half of it is just stubbornness. Like Marwan doesn't eat hot dogs. I'm like, dude, <laughs> these aren't good for you. I'm not trying to get you to eat this because it's good for you. It's right. like someone's making burgers and hot dogs and then a burger just have hot dogs. It's like, no, I don't like hot dogs. I'm like, what do you mean you don't like hot dogs? You know what's a good strategy? He Ascend, won't eat meatballs. It's but- like you eat hamburgers. <laughs> why do you not eat meatballs? He thinks they're, I'm like, they're the same thing. But if you sent him somewhere to with someone else who wasn't you and wasn't yes, his mom, exactly. he will eat it because- he is engaged in a control battle with you because you are his parent. Exactly. I send my kids off with that. They come back and they're like, oh, I ate like what? I'm like, yeah. what? You don't, you would laugh in my face if I tried to give that to you. I can't think of an example, but like mushrooms or, you know, and it's just because they have an open mind because they don't have anything to prove. Yeah. What will Phoebe or Abby eat now that they didn't say five years ago? Is there, obviously, other than pokey. Um, well, you know what Phoebe still won't eat, which she hasn't eaten since she was maybe three, which just kills us on a nightly basis, is um, pasta. She, I, th- I thought you were going to say martinis. <laughs> I thought you were going to say <laughs> meat. <laughs> no, that wouldn't be half as bad, neither, as um, as Pasta. pasta. Pasta, wow. I don't, and she holds out. Like, I really feel like it's because her sister loves pasta more than anything. And it's mm-hmm. like this way to define herself. Because she will she eat try everything it? else. No, she won't. And um, and it's, so uh, you know, she's, we give her a break. I have an idea. Yes. Maybe you can send her on vacation with Carla's family I was family thinking to about, Rome. believe me, I was <laughs> yeah, fantasizing come to Rome about with that. Us. You have no choice. Do a little yes. kid exchange program. <laughs> oh, my God. And send Cosmo <laughs> to uh, South Carolina. We mm-hmm. threaten that a lot. I yeah. I, I, I just, um, I'm so, if I had pasta, if we could do, she's a camp now, so we've been eating pasta so <laughs> every, funny. every night. So, but no, nothing really. I mean, they've, they've been, pr- my younger daughter was pretty picky. Abby was picky when she was really little. And then, um, since then they've been just pretty, pretty good eaters. So, um, yeah, no, nothing like crazy that they've tried lately that I was shocked by. But. Right. All right. Let's talk about, um, you're on vacation. Uh, and you're visiting a cool city or something or traveling around islands and you're going out to dinner a lot. Dinner sort of rules or guidelines at a restaurant with the kid. Because I have thoughts about, you know, devices, no devices, this or that, or what? how, never, how does that work? Never devices. You're not allowed to have a screen at the table. I don't care. Restaurant, at home. It's a really? rule. What's yeah. your rule? It's a rule. What's no, yours? No, I ask you first. <laughs> We, um, my kids, I mean, I feel like when they were little, there was no smartphone to hand them. There was, you know, they were like five and six when, when iPhones came out. So they never got addicted to that part of the, you know, the dinner. When we were going out to dinner, like we just didn't, we would hand them like the sugar packets or whatever, or, or like wow. a Same. sticker packet really? or something. Yeah. And it was straw. They used to play with straws. Yeah. I could give when the guys were little toddlers, a fork and a glass of ice, it will keep a child entertained for like an hour. Yeah. Well, I think maybe my kid's a little bit more sophisticated than yours. (laughs) I don't know. Um, But if we had them, I'm not saying I wouldn't have used them. I'm sure I would have leaned on them as crutches, but, but we don't, we don't let them use them now. Yeah. I I don't know. And grownups too. I'll let them get up from the table before I would give them a device. So Mm -hmm. if someone's really itchy and can't sit and is like done and over it, I'm like, go outside. Mm -hmm. Go walk around. Yeah. Just stay in front yeah. of the window so I can see you. Yeah. And they're like, I mean, we, okay. de- we yeah. definitely will. Like I said, Marwan is a kid that doesn't like to stay seated for too long. He's also an only kid. So he's sitting there by himself. Yeah. And there were times where Simone and I were trying to have like a conversation with each other. And like I, I don't think it's necessarily fair to expect like a six-year-old or seven-year-old boy to sit at a table with a bunch of adults for an hour and a half who are while eating dinner. Like that's not. Normally at home, like they're going to eat for 15 minutes and they're going to go around side and play. Right. Mm-hmm. And I feel like oftentimes we parents sort of expect them to be like, oh, well, behave yourself. And it's like, but what, if I, I, I don't know. So there's an interesting moment the other day when we were at a friend's beach house um, and there was like six of us adults hanging out and we're all like drinking and hanging out and Marlon's at the table and he's not on a device and friend Tori and Steven were talking about their friend who was divorced and then she met a guy online and this oh, and that and they ended up hooking up and getting married. And at some point, Marlon just interjected. He's like, guys, can we talk about something I understand? <laughs> and we're all like, oh. like There were no other kids at the table? No other kids. Oh, there were no other kids. Oh. And like, that's great that he advocated for right. himself. But at the same token, it's like, 
we're kind of having adult conversations. We don't expect him to be involved. But if he's not involved, I don't expect him to be engaged, you know? And mm-hmm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure what the answer is. Like, it is depressing when you just see a kid on his phone or mm-hmm. iPad the entire time. I just think that, like, eating is such a social thing. And it's like a sharing of, I don't know. I mean, obviously, food's important to me. And I just feel like when you sit down to eat together, you should look each other in the face. And you should, like, you know, be nourished and, like, have that moment, even if it only lasts. 10 minutes. Like Cosmo's mm-hmm. the same. He doesn't yeah. sit. Leo is like some kind of. Yeah, but I'm saying, but 10 minutes at home is one thing. But if you're out to dinner for an know, hour and a half, that's what do you I'm expect like, a kid to do? Go outside. What if, what if you're, what if you're in the mountains and it's 20 <laughs> degrees out? <laughs> also, like you said, except you, they, they're at least brothers, you know, they, only they kids do. is a little tougher. That's yeah, hard. they do. I mean, but they were also just different personalities because yeah. Leo would sit and sit through anything. And it was, you know, and I have so many memories also of being at adult tables with adult conversations and just like sitting there mm-hmm. and listening to what the grownups were talking about. My sister used to go to sleep under the table. She didn't want to leave. <laughs> it was weird. Like she couldn't take part of the conversation, but she didn't want to leave. So she would just go under the table and go to All sleep. Right. Leaving you stranded. Carl, on your email from earlier about this podcast, you said, if you find a food your child is psyched for, don't overdo it, mm. period. Doll in India with Leo. Right. Okay. So this sounds a little. <laughs> that was just a, a, to trigger yeah. for me. Um, when Leo was five, uh, my husband and I were invited to attend an Indian wedding. Um, so that, was Cosmo born yet or no? No. no. But Leo was turning five, and we it had been my dream like forever to like get invited to an Indian wedding. So yeah. and I was like, we were it's like a four been, day affair. Yeah, and- yeah. He was like, we're invited. What are you? And I was like, we're going, duh. <laughs> so, the, and that was one of those two week trips. Cause you have to, the time change is did so you, crazy. Did you have to bring like a steamer trunk of outfits um, to choose from for like every, I actually every bought affair? a few things while we were there. Like, so like cool. things that, you know, were not so like Western and yeah. were fun. Cause there's just so many beautiful, like they wear bright colors and the saris and the silks and the thing. Yeah, there was like a million, there was like a lunch, a henna party, another party, oh a pre-party. God. Then we went to like the wedding location. That was two and a half days. The trip had like many phases with a five-year-old. Anyway, he's a really good eater. He's pretty open to spices. And then when you take a child to a restaurant, especially a, an American kid, and he had these like curls. So people were always stopping us on the street to take his picture. It was amazing. <laughs> That's crazy. So, but it, there were restaurants that we went to and they love children there. And they literally at, at multiple places, they would put the food in his mouth. The waiter would come over to the table, see that there was a child, pick the food up and hand feed my kid. So This is like the exact opposite of Paris. If you ever go to a restaurant, with Paris, you walk into a restaurant with a child in Paris and they look at you like you walked in with a tiger on a leash. They're like, what are you Who doing bringing that? that into here at dinner time? No. Totally. No, this is like they were whisking, trying to whisk him away and take him, you know, it was like crazy. So I guess that's a way to get your kid to eat something is to have a stranger like just put food into his mouth. I mean, most kids are just going to go along with it, I guess. It's so weird. But he liked doll. He likes beans. Yeah. So there's a lot of dolls at every meal. And it's just this like almost, you know, just soupy split bean, usually not very aggressively flavored. And he liked that. And he liked rice until we had been there for like 12 days. <laughs> and he's five. And at one point I remember him saying to us like, guys, enough with the doll. <laughs> enough with the doll. But he ate a lot of, he had a lot of mango lassies and there they're not all with mango. Like there's mm-hmm. salted lassies that were really savory and was just like a very sour yogurt that had salt and pepper blended. And like, he loved that. Um, he was into the spices, but even now if we go to out to Indian in New York. He wanted And I'm like, Leo, they have a whole selection of doll. And he's like, that's not even funny. Yeah, it's like, yeah, he's <laughs> like, like, he remembers So he it. never yes. ever eats it or he just. He won't eat. It's oh like that's too funny. associated with like a time. Right. You know. I think that's it's interesting funny. about kids and where you go on vacation. And I don't mean to like generalize, but I will generalize a bit. There are certain cultures and countries where they just love kids. And there are yeah. certain parts of Italy when you have a little kid, the waiter yeah. will just come up, grab your kid <laughs> and, and just take him away. And you'll be like, okay, cool. In yeah. Jamaica, the same thing, less so in France. But it's just like, yeah, they're just, and that's a good feeling as a parent. Like, you know that your, your kid can go run around the restaurant. Totally. And they're that's happy awesome. about that. You know, they're not going to banish him. What about uh, Jenny, in terms of bringing home, you like to get recipes Oh, while well, on the road. Well, I mean, I kind of, one of the fun things about 
traveling for our kids is that they get to try new restaurants, like not just new ingredients, but like, you know, they're kind of sick of the same place that we go. We live in the suburbs, you know, with access to the city, but they don't really get to experience it as much as we do. And so they try different kinds of dishes um, when they're out to restaurants. And, and, um, and there was one, I think I told you about the, uh, there's a broccoli dish that we had in Staunton, Virginia, which, um, which is this tiny little town. Um, in Virginia, in the Shenandoah Valley, I think. How and I'm when sure. did you go there? We were there over Christmas break, over the holiday, because we were staying at the Omni, at the homestead. Mm. Um, and uh, we just, we drove Skyline Drive, and it was just like a kind of a mini four-day road trip. And we ended up in this beautiful town. Staunton is like a, it's it has this like perfect downtown, like Civil War era um, storefronts and it's just like this perfectly preserved little jewel in the middle of nowhere and um, they have um, I can't I can't believe I can't remember the name of the restaurant it starts with a Z maybe uh, like it's Zy- called Zynoda Zy- yes Zynodoa oh there I'm, I, I better get that right Zynodoa Zynodoa yes. um, and they made this broccoli there was like a deep fried broccoli with um, like um, chili and honey and um, sesame seeds, sesame seeds, um, and it was just we ordered. We must have ordered like five, you know, just five bowls of it. And maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but but then when we came home, they kept on asking, "Can you try to replicate it?" and and so I just called the chef and I asked him if he could send it. And um, cool. And they did. And, and how, um, how did your version fare compared to the It was chefs? good. I mean, I made it so much, though, that it's sort of the doll story. Like, they just eventually were like, not the broccoli again. But I didn't deep fry the broccoli. I just did the high heat blast. And it was just as good. And I you used, know, the next time it, that was, happens. Was it really just as good, Jenny? I mean, if I tasted them side <laughs> by side, probably not. But it was it 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 satisfied them, put okay. it that way. Yes, I should qualify The next that. time that happens, you know, you can just send a letter to Bon Appetit, RSVP, oh. column, and we'll get the recipe. But it sounds like you got it. You, need, you should send it to us. Yes. Well, did um, you blanch the broccoli before frying it? I do not know the answer to that. But you had the recipe. They must have. You have to. But then there'd be so much water splattering in the oil. And now I'm maybe really curious. They, maybe they blanch and then let it. Let just, it really dry out. Or just sit on a, a sheet pan for a while. I mean, it reminds me a little of fried Brussels sprouts, which is, you know, same family, but mm-hmm. they don't have nearly as much water. Hmm. All right. Before we go, I want to hear from you guys. We'll each share one childhood memory of our own when we were on vacation somewhere with our parents about a meal you happen to remember. Hmm. I, I will have to say, first of all, I never really went on vacation as a kid. Not oh. real vacations because my sister was like a nationally ranked tennis player and she traveled all around the country um, in the summer and that was wherever the tournament was, was where our vacation was. So we'd be in like Indianapolis. How much or, How much do you resent your sister now? You know, I was like so obsessed with her tennis friends that I like, I would like, you know, like follow the draw and I would wow. scout her opponents. Wait, and, aren't you guys twins? No, my brother no. is my twin. Oh, my sister is two years older and um, he's also a tennis player. But, um, but she was, um, so we would like, we were in, I want to say like somewhere in West Virginia and there was a mall right next to the hotel where we were staying. And all I needed was a hotel and a pool, like for me oh, yeah. as a kid, like that was a it. hotel, <laughs> a pool and a vending machine. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully an ice machine also. And, and there was a mall, which in the food court thing was kind of new back oh, then. Yeah. And they had Philly cheesesteaks at Ooh. this mall. And I had a Philly cheesesteak like every day for maybe, you know, as long as we were there, I don't know how many days it was, but, but uh, yeah, I can't taste one now without thinking of that. Isn't that crazy? So. Like those, like we don't realize what, when, what our kids' sort of formative memories will be while yeah. they're happening, but then they'll bring it up to you like twenty years later right. or something, or even now, like eight, seven. When Marlon was two, he'll bring up something. Yeah. Like, Wait, what? You remember that? I know. I um, I have a similar one. When I was uh, again skiing with my parents, I went on a ski trip with my mom and dad. My brother and sister stayed home in D.C. So I think I was like, this was eighty three. I think I was thirteen in Park City, Utah, and. They went out to dinner one night, and it was the first time I had ever been like by myself alone in like in like the weird ski condo we were staying in. And I remember it was the actually for sports fans, it was the night of the NCAA basketball championship when NC State won on a last second shot against, or it was the alley oop uh, against. You don't remember Funny that? the things you remember, Jim Volpano, yeah. like the famous <laughs> moment, you know, um, and uh, throw belly and what's his name. Uh, anyway, so um, and I remember I got to order in, like so I got I ordered a meatball 
hero, like the big Coke and French fries. And I remember just like sitting there on the weird fire retardant sofa watching this basketball game. I'm like, this is the best thing ever. I'm watching the game by myself, eating a meatball hero, drinking a giant Coca-Cola. And here, mm-hmm. you know, 40 years later or 35 years later, I'm still like, that was one of the best meals ever. Do you recreate it a lot? It's interesting. I, you know, I, I actually, a couple of years ago, we made meatball heroes at my brother Andy's apartment. Mm-hmm. The thing about Meatball Heroes, which is a little bit, which it's hard to sort of um, recreate, is that oftentimes you get a Meatball Hero, they've been wrapped up in that sort of like aluminum foil and oftentimes delivered or whatever. So they get super moist and they all kind of just like mold together, the bread, the cheese, Mm -hmm. the this. When you make them fresh, you have like the meatballs and the sauce and like the bread under Mm -hmm. the broiler. So the bread is kind of crunchy and the meat, it doesn't all just get mushed. You want that weird- Resting. Moisty, Mm -hmm. mushiness Mm -hmm. to come together. And then it's just, yeah. So I I think think next time I'm going to wrap them up and like for 10 minutes, no one can touch them. But that's what we did with the um, The cheesesteak recipe, which is like part of the recipe ends up being like a great thing for entertaining, but- it's part of the recipe. Like, let them hang out. And and Brad Leone said the same thing. Everybody everybody in there just kind of melds together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I've noticed that one times when we've sometimes at the office on Hangover Fridays, we order a bunch of um, Shake Shack. And the, I think the Shake Shack burgers are actually better like 15 minutes in. The fries, mm. the fries actually survive pretty well, but it's the burgers actually become better as they sort of mellow. I think yeah. that that's true. Yeah. I think they need to rest. I don't yeah. know 15, but yeah. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Do you know that Carla was the opening manager of Shake Shack in, I did know in that. Madison Park? I always yeah. remember that. About I, her. My, uh-huh. I had a Juno driver the other day and we somehow ended up like, it's like if you have nothing in common with someone, you can start talking about food and all of a sudden you have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. So his family owned a deli in, um, in Queens. So he was talking about the deli business and volume. And then, you know, of course that led to Shake Shack. And then um, he, and I didn't tell him, you know, I don't introduce myself, former, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, around the, around here, it's my claim to fame. <laughs> but I was, I was like, oh, yeah, you know, that's a Shake Shack model. Like, you don't need to charge a lot. You just got to sell a lot. And he was like, yeah, totally. He was like, you know, the time that the Shake Shack was the best was when it was just in Madison Square Park. And there was Aww. just one of them. He was like, it was so, it was just so special. It's not like that anymore. And I was like, well, you know. No. <laughs> Keep, keep circling the block yeah, a few I mean. more times. I'll get out a little bit. No rush. So, yeah, I want to go out to his deli. Anyway. Uh, what's your meal? This is hard. We didn't go on vacations either. We never, we never went overseas until I was a senior in high school or maybe in my first year in college. And we always went to Italy. My, my father was not interested in any other destination <laughs> besides going to Italy. Like when I was like, I want to go to India. He was like, why would you go to, that's terrible. Why would you go there? <laughs> he was like, Italy has everything. They have pasta, they have wine. So, so that's easy. I mean, like he's right. He's kind of right. Um, and to this day, my mom's like, can I come to Costa Rica with you guys the next time? <laughs> and my dad's like, what's the food? No. Wow. Um, so that's easy though. Like I do remember my first time going to Italy with my parents and probably going to Dajigetto in Rome and having, um, fried artichokes for the first time. Mm. And even though I, you know, I, ate, we ate well and we ate a lot, out a lot, but I don't think I'd ever had fried artichokes. So I kind of remember that being seminal mm-hmm. my dad looking at me like is that the best thing you've ever had <laughs> a good a good fried artichoke <laughs> is a great thing it really is and just to be there and like having that but another weird so th- we didn't travel as a family a lot but they would send me down to visit with my grandparents every summer and i remember going and um being Where? orlando so i was in <laughs> orlando with um grandpa eddie and grandma dorothy and they had jello Strawberry. You didn't have, have Jello. Never. Oh we never had Jello. And they Jello had, was like the quote unquote good for you dessert. I mean, uh-huh. we had Jello. Like I had had Jello, yeah. but my mom did not make Jello. So she, there was all this Jello, and it was like, have as much as you want, sweetie. Yeah. And I was like, it's so good. Like I could not get <laughs> enough you, of did, this Jello. Did you get any uh, Cool Whip with the Jello? No, just no. straight up Jello. It was great. And then I would sit in the Lazy Boy with my my grandpa. They had two Lazy Boys. Cool. So he'd be asleep in one watching the Yankee game. And I had the other one just like, <laughs> eating Jell-O. It was bottomless bowl of Jell-O. Not even a bowl, just a tray. <laughs> so can I have more? She was like, you can have it all. I was like, great. <laughs> all right. On that note, Carla Music, thank you very much. Always. Jenny Rosenstrack, thanks for coming by. Thank you. 
So Nick, when I called you about this article to see if you wanted to write it, you claimed that you had never heard of Malden salt before. Yeah, well, that was true. But as you may remember, I then stood up with the phone and walked <laughs> into the kitchen and, and saw the box there and realized I'd been looking at the box for a long time and then went and saw the ramekin of salt flakes and realized I'd been using those and just kind of referring to them as the or referring to it as the fancy salt. That your wife had been buying for several yes. years. So, I mean, it's sort of an, it's, it's an indictment of, of me on many levels. That I'm, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not paying attention. I'm not in charge of the larder. Uh, You're not appreciative of the person who is in charge of the larder. Exactly. Uh, and I'm not, even, I'm not even reading the words that are put in front of me on a daily basis in my own house. I mean, it was actually a, it was a, it was a major indictment of my, my lack of, uh, uh, what's, the, what's the word that's big now? Uh, it's, it's like with our kids or something. Mindfulness. Mindfulness. <laughs> um, <laughs> what? And so when you're like, oh yeah, that stuff. What? What sprang to mind when you were like, oh yeah, that stuff? Well, it was the fancy salt. Yeah. And, and I, I, you know, I had sort of already appreciated playing with it with my fingers. You know, I would like sometimes the three fingers, the thumb and, yes, the, and the four exactly. finger and middle we're, finger. We're both making this move now in the air. Imagine it on your radio dial. Uh, but yeah, I would, I would actually sometimes while doing the dishes, cause that's what, the, that's what the guy who doesn't run the larder, mm -hmm. larder and, and cook the food does, he does, does the dishes a lot. So I'm often standing there and the, the ramekin of salt was right above me. And I would sometimes just kind of put my fingers in it just, just to experience it, you know, or sometimes I dip a, you know, the finger in there and, and take some, you know, like it was some kind of, you know, illicit substance that I could sample. You, you have a, you have a line in your article, um, actually speaking of which, you have several drug references in this article. Yeah, I'm not sure what that's all about. I noticed that rereading, the, it, was, it was sort of, uh, it's, it's unfortunate. Uh, let's just say it's unfortunate. You have a... Uh, it I was. Thought, a, it, I thought you guys were editors. So you're supposed yeah, to take care of that. Well, I thought. I thought the guy Kurt Soller, who edited the piece, was going to do <laughs> and that. Did a great job. Um, but, he, but he left in these drug references. Yeah, it was a pleasure to pinch it between forefinger and thumb, or absentmindedly dab it, dab at it, and taste a few flecks, like a narc testing a confiscated drug shipment. You then refer to the crystals as the size of a tab of acid. Yeah. Well, that, that's a. It's a funny thing. I mean, this is a bit of a, uh, you know, off off point, but. You know, I, for me, writing, there's always a moment in, in any piece where you have to describe the size of something. Yes. And you stop and you sit there and you kind of imagine the range of creation. And you're like, what is this the size of? And there were there were two of those moments in this piece, actually. Having just reread it, uh -huh. I know it well enough to know. That. The other one was, what is the size of the Malden salt works? You know, and it was like the size of a basketball court. Mm, yeah, so not much bigger one. than a basketball court. <laughs> you know, you sound like a, what was the Leo DiCaprio movie from the uh, the nineties? Basketball Diaries. The basketball Diaries. Yeah, so you had a lot of basketball and drugs in your early life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Only in my early life. Um, <laughs> this is not the first time you've written about food. You've, no, you did a piece for Bon App uh, a few years ago about skiing and eating in the mountains. Yeah, in Switzerland. Switzerland, which yeah. is something you have a lot of experience of. Yes. Is writing about food any different than all these other subjects that you tackle for The New Yorker? Well, you know, the other thing I did at The New Yorker for years, I don't do it anymore, is I used to do the the, uh, the tables for two, oh, yeah. the restaurant reviews. Um, and and my role, oh, the way I viewed it, and I'm sure the way that the editors viewed it, was that of just kind of your average, you know, your average hungry person who has some experience with New York but doesn't know much about food. So I would go to these restaurants. And, you know, for me, I'm not... I'm, I guess I'm slightly particular, but mainly to me, it's like, this is really good. This is really good. I want more. This is okay. Yeah. This isn't worth the money. I mean, that, that's basically my range of reactions to food and restaurants. But you knew how to convert that into engaging words that the reader would want to right. read about. So a lot of it was about the experience of being in the restaurant, which is as much the thing when you're in New York or going to restaurants and paying a lot of money. It's what is the experience of being there? What's the whole atmosphere you know, can you hear each other talk? Uh, what's the service like? Are you being, you know, do you have that feeling that you have whenever you're in New York doing a lot of things? Is am I being ripped off? <laughs> you know, and if, if that feeling is not present, then you begin to relax and pay attention yeah, that's, to the I'd food. Like to, I'd like to come back here. Yeah. So with this article on Malden and, and the gist of it for us as editors, what we wanted to kind of get to is like, how did Malden become Malden? How did it become this iconic brand. And I think what's interesting about it, 
for us food folks, uh, for which apparently you're not one necessarily, not a card-carrying member. Not a card-carrying yeah. member, but occasionally I get to hang out with, yeah. the, with the cool kids. <laughs> um, Malden had like quickly or just, it kind of just ach- had achieved this sort of iconic status in the kitchen like, as part of the canon. It just, you know, you're going to buy Heinz ketchup. Right. You're going to buy Hellman's mayonnaise or maybe Duke's if you're from the South. And in terms of Malden, it was... You know, it was non-negotiable. You had to, you have to have Malden in your right. kitchen. And I, I, when I meet friends who haven't used it, I'm like, oh my god, you, you, right. I, I'm going to send you a box. It's going right. to change your cooking life. Right. And it's like, well, so our question, was like, well, how did how that happen? And how did you then approach this piece? What was the process? And what did you, what did you want to sort of discover? Well, yeah, I mean, that, I guess that was the, the the sort of working question of the piece is, you know, how did Malden become Malden? How did it wind up in every kitchen? How did it become a thing? And I, you know, I think it's it's hard to sort of deconstruct that whole thing. Uh, but there are certain there are certain uh, there are certain watermarks. Uh, there are certain moments in, in its history. Um, and just to be clear, like this was a recent thing in America. This is in the last ten years. Yeah, in America at least. Yes, I mean it. It caught on as, as sort of. I think it was the the, the sort of the, the British foodie wave of mm-hmm. the '90s. With Jamie Oliver and Ruth Rogers first had it in her kitchen. And at the River Cafe. At the River Cafe. Um, and she was a proponent of it, and she wrote books, and it was a thing in her books. And then Jamie Oliver, uh, who was working in her kitchen, became an adherent of Malden Salt, and he started doing this on TV, and, you know. And there was a Delia Smith, right? Yep. Uh, How uh, to Cook, around 2000. Yes, and yeah. it was the Delia effect. They refer to it there. I don't know if it's a, if it's actually a phrase that everybody uses, or if it's, you know. <laughs> I don't. I don't think they use it here in America. But no, yes. no. But I mean, they. they you know, it, it was used while I was in the UK, yeah. so one assumes <laughs> that it's been used more than once. <laughs> but uh, anyway, th- that was the idea. That you know, she talked about it, and it, it became a thing that they had to stock in the supermarkets, and people started using it, and then, um, and then. You know, one story and the story I do tell is that you know a couple of American celebrities started talking about it. You know, and those Gwyneth being, Paltrow. You know, I like I like with your Gwyneth quote. I don't know if you when you reread this, you know, yeah. uh, she said, uh, "quote I was living in London and it was ubiquitous there." End quote. She told me. I love that right. you want to let the readers know that you spoke to Gwyneth Paltrow. That, oh, that you didn't yeah. pick this up from the internet or something. Right. Well, that I mean, that, that's that's a New Yorkerism, first of all, and it, it takes some getting used to when you go to the New Yorker and you start writing there, and in order to indicate that that person told you and it wasn't something oh. that they said, or if you say, uh, you know, that person to- said this thing, it's like where, when, then you have to sort of situate it in time and place. Oh, so the New York, so the she told me makes it sound like, makes, yes. it's, just, it's clear that you, yeah. That, that. But there are New Yorker writers who refuse so you to use it. So you weren't just showing off. No. <laughs> I, but I wanted to be clear for that. Actually, I was doing it for you guys. <laughs> so the magazine <laughs> would want to know. That, that this GP was, got yeah, on the, the phone with the, us. This wasn't me doing another, you know, lame-ass Google search. <laughs> yeah. It was, you know. <laughs> Thank we you, got Gwynny on the phone. Okay, so we got the Gwynny <laughs> quote. Before we get to your journey to England, what is so great about modern is it's a finishing salt, yes? Right. And I have a box right here. Right, which I'm going to open up on air. Well, it, it's nice. It has the, it has a cover with with uh, beets on it. It's, yeah, it's quite beautiful. It was a promotional thing where they're doing different vegetables like beets and carrots and stuff. It's, well, I I, to me, oh. beets look better drawn on a box than they do sometimes on a plate. Yeah, I'm not a beets fan. Um, be, I usually oh. say beets are beet. We have some. We have a beet recipe going into our Thanksgiving issue, and yeah. I was like trying to open this. Can't open this. I was like, do people really want beets on the Thanksgiving table? And I don't know. There's a lot of pushback when I get when I ask that question. I literally can't open this. Ripped over my tooth. Um, okay, so I open up. Can you hear that? You're making a mess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there are There's these little crystals. Yeah. Um, and it's they're flaky sea salt flakes. Um, well, they're you, they're 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 pyramids. They're pyramids that, that are then that have been sort of broken up by the process of. Well, we'll, we'll get to that. that yeah. you, but you, the point is, you typically you do not you know you're not putting these in your pasta water to salt your pasta water. Uh, you're not adding no. these for baking into a, a cookie or something. You are sprinkling these over a finished dish, whether yeah, that's I a mean, steak can, or vegetables. You can use it the other way if you want, but it's just an expensive yes, it's an expensive use of salt. Uh, yeah, this is, the, I it's mean. about eight bucks a box now? Yeah, something like that. Uh, I think it's eight, whatever. Yeah, eight, seven or eight bucks a box, 
which seems like a lot and it's more expensive than other things, but you know, it's not like, it's not like the money you would spend on wine or meat. That's, you know, that's, that's expensive. Dude, you spent eight bucks on a cocktail on a Tuesday night. If exactly. you're lucky in New York. No, I mean, yeah. you know, just, if you just have a, a decent bottle of wine and then you have a second one, that's like, that's your entire two year budget on Malden. So I mean, it's, <laughs> relax about the price maybe. Um, but yeah, you don't use it to, to salt your water when you're boiling pasta. You know, the, the big thing with it, obviously, is the texture. Yes. So that's what that's what people are into it for. And right? what, what is the texture? Oh, you want adjectives. <laughs> yes, I want adjectives. Food adjectives. Oh, no. Uh, no, it's, it's, uh, I don't know, it's like crunchy? crunchy. I, it's, 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 it's lighter than crunchy. Like I said, there is a flakiness. Yeah. Um, I also think what you- What's between, is there, is there like a flanchy? Is there a yeah. verb like between crunchy <laughs> and flaky? Can we make one? But I think what's cool about Walden, you point out- um, which also is interesting in terms of uh, it. You point out it's salt that's actually not that salty, right? That if you ever like uh, Morton salt, it's really salt, like right. iodized American table salt is right. very salty. Well, that's the, that's the other thing, you know. So you have the you have the texture, which is which is pleasing and it's nice and has a crunch to yeah. it. Uh, but the other thing about it is that it is less salty and less bitter. And I think when people say less salty, they mean less bitter. And I think the working theory is that the bitterness in salt comes from magnesium, which apparently this process of boiling salt in water and having it yeah, well, let's get to that top. process. Anyway, it, it, yeah. supposedly it takes the magnesium yeah. out of it, supposedly. which is why it's yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm I am not a chemist. No, no, you're not. <laughs> Although you can talk about things like acid, apparently. <laughs> no, um, I, I don't. I don't understand the chemistry. What? Uh, so you got on a plane. So apparently, Malden is a place. Yeah, Malden is a place. Uh, which also was news to me. Um, one of the fun things about being assigned stories by smart people like you, Adam, <laughs> is that we learn things so much as soon as we as soon as we embark on the assignment. Yes, it's a place. It's about an hour east of London uh, on on the uh, on an estuary called the Blackwater River, which is a bastardization of Brackwater, meaning it's brackish water. And so it's uh, part fresh, part sea. Exactly. It's it's it's, it's 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 the estuary sort of directly north of the Thames. Okay. So it sort of works the same way from east to west, you know, into, you know, into England and um, it's tidal and the water sort of comes up over the marshes there. And, you know, historically, thousands of years ago, you know, people would just gather the salt from the, the grass as it sort of was left behind. You know, the, so the water would come in at high tides. And then during a part of the tidal cycle, when it didn't come in as high, it would dry out on the grass. People would just pick the salt off the grass. And they got the idea of putting clay pans in, in, the, gra in the grass. So the water would come in during the high tide cycle. And then when the tides weren't coming as high, uh, the water would just be left to stand there. And then they would take the water, put it in clay pots. They'd heat the, the water over, they heat the clay pots over fires, wood fires. And then that would, all the water would come out and there'd be salt left on the inside of the pots. And then they'd hammer the pots, you know, mm -hmm. so they could then scrape, you know, like almost like a coconut shards, yeah. you know, and they could scrape the, the salt off these shards and they'd throw out the, the, the pot shards and those became these red hills of Essex. But anyway, so that's how they were getting, wow. they, they were sort of scraping the salt off these shards. So they were making pots for each batch of salt. That's how valuable the salt was. Yeah. But not the most efficient way of no, making it. No, but it's the way they did it for a very long time. So, they, so let's fast forward a couple of thousand years. What's what's the process now? Well, now I mean it's actually not that different. Uh, but they don't they don't smash the pot every time. They have <laughs> they have uh, they have steel tanks. They bring in the water from as the tide comes in. They they hold it in a giant tank and then they fill these these steel tanks, which are like I guess three yards by three yards, about a foot deep. But wait, so first of all, though, yeah, um, yeah. but they, they have like, do they have like barges off the coast that are right. collecting the seawater? They have, they have one big barge. Well, there, there, there are this two is, facilities. Yeah, so yeah. The, the facility I saw, just to be clear, is, is, is the one that they've been working at for, you know, decades. And they have seven of these salt baths there. And Malden as a company has been around for how long? Uh, like 1880, that. I think yeah, is what it yeah. was. Uh, and it's been in this family since 1922. Um and they started, you know, it's been in this place called, it's a neighborhood of the town of Malden called the Downs. And it's right on the river. And basically the tide comes in, they use that tidal water to fill a giant barge right off the, right off their facility. And they use that water to fill these pans. 
Now, you point out that the land, the marshland, is owned by the crown. Yes. Do they pay the crown for the right to collect this water, or how does that work? No, so they're no longer they're no they're no longer collecting the salt from the marshland. Yeah, but they're collecting the water. Yeah. Do they have to? Can they Apparently, they have free? to pay the. They, they have to pay something. I'm not uh-huh. really sure how it works. Okay, but they're not. It's not. But really I mean, this free. this isn't like this isn't like uh, having to have a gold mine or something. I think it's 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 a pretty lucrative way. Yeah. To extract value from nature. It sounds like it. So, you, so they collect yeah. the water, they put it in tanks, and then they apply heat to those tanks. Yeah, they have the, this a heating system underneath it. It heats the water evenly, and it, they they bring it to a, I think they bring it to a boil, and then as it's cooling, the salt precipitates to the surface. That's how I remember it. And, and it, it it forms these these uh these these sort of pyramid crystals on the surface of the water that when they get to be a certain size, they then sink. All right, so let's talk about the crystals because yeah. the pyramids, excuse yeah. me. Yeah. For anyone who's used Malden, um, if you ever get one of the whole pyramids yeah. and, and certain boxes just sort of seem to survive the, the shipping process better than others, and you get yeah. more yeah. flaky flakier boxes than others. Um, I look at that and I'm like, how did this, ha- it, it looks man-made. I'm like, how do they get right. these things? But it, that just happens naturally? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I don't know how well you remember Science class, chemistry class. <laughs> I don't so remember well. it very well myself, but I, I I do remember that that crystals do form in nature. You know? <laughs> well, it's incredible because you look at these like pyramids. Yeah. You're like, oh my god, these are yeah. so cool, and they're four sided, four sided pyramid. So all right, so then it sinks to the bottom, and then the water evaporates essentially. And no, the, or they the, they, they rake, rake it out. They rake it out. They rake it out, and they fill these giant you know bins like like almost like trash cans full mm-hmm. of it. And it's kind of amazing because you think of this as this gourmet food good that yeah. people pay dearly for, and it comes in these pretty little boxes. But you know, they they treat it. You know, it's just a it's a very raw commodity. And then they have to let it dry. I assume it, right? they dry. They have a whole system, the Doctor Zeus type system. So okay. start to finish, you know how long how long that takes when they put apply heat to the tank and then I think it's ready a day. for boxing. Oh, yeah, I think it's a twenty four hour cycle. I, I might be wrong. That's how I remember it. And then they so then. Let's talk about, so Steve Osborne, mm-hmm. who now runs the family business. Right. Uh, and talk about how he has grown the business. And I think he's probably a big reason why we are all now familiar right. with Malden. So his his grandfather was the first of his family to be the sort of master salt maker, Cyril. And then Cyril's son, Clive. These are such great <laughs> English names. Cyril and then Clive Osborne. <laughs> Osborne. And Clive, and, and Clive got his start in business. He was selling electric toothbrushes and shoe <laughs> shine machines. I mean, it's like totally Wallace and Gromit, right? Uh, but he settles back with the family business in Malden. And he's the guy who sort of modernized, this is Clive, modernized sort of the, the system, some of the, you know, the, the heating system and, Took it away from coal to gas and all that. And then his son, Steve Osborne. I heard Donald Trump wants to bring it back to coal, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make Malden great again. Uh, so so Steve Osborne, his son, had gone to London to be a bond trader. You know, so he was working at different kinds of pits, you know, the, uh, the, yes. the, the, the bond trading pits. Uh, but actually technology sort of passed him by and there were no longer need there was no longer a need for open outcry type trading. So he went home to the family business. Um, he was sort of a, you know, a, a slick London guy at this point. And he looked to modernize the sort of the marketing of the business. And he, he's the one who wanted to sort of build it up and, and, and push it into different markets, United States chiefly among them. And um, You make a point of describing when he came to pick you up that he arrived in a Porsche Macan with a barber jacket. Right. Well, so I was expecting, you know, I was expecting Cyril or Clyde. <laughs> you know, I was expecting like, you know, yeah. I had just my head sort of. Some guy uh, in his in his wellies. In his wellies, yeah. yeah. And, and instead he comes in these sort of suede loafers and this Porsche Macan and these fancy sunglasses. And but you also point out that the suede loafers are not, uh, not well suited for the marshes. No, we're standing in the marshes and all I could think about was those shoes, man. <laughs> those are nice shoes. <laughs> They're like standing in tidal mud. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you do, you do get a sense that this is sort of modern, sort of, you know, uh, posh London, you know, post-90s, post-Thatcher UK. This is, you know, a product of that era. 
Yeah. This is not this is not the, this is not the 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 Britain of Clive and Cyril. This is the Britain of Steve. What's been interesting about Steve is that he has really grown the business exponentially. That you yes. I think you point out he said when Steve took over there were just three salt pans. He added a fourth the next year, and this was mid two thousand, I guess. Uh, they've since opened a second facility, and now they have thirty seven pants. Right, that's a times. I think my math is right. Nine times increase. Yeah, well, it's it's uh, it's well, it's twelve times. Yeah, and so then he, so he, he obviously did he essentially kind of take that sort of traders mentality to this as a this is not just a we're not just making small we're making money. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think he, he he had seen a world of business where things have to grow. It's grow or die. And uh, he, they, there was market potential there. And, and I think he's just kind of ridden the wave. And he's pushed the wave, He's but he's also ridden the wave. And he, uh, he wants to double it. I mean, he, you know. So he wants to keep growing. Yes. Open another facility then or? Yes. Yeah. I mean, they're still, they're still growing. And I don't know what the, the what the global market is for fancy salt. China. Uh, China, I imagine, you know, yeah. we'll get hip to it. I mean, well, it's interesting. He points out that their biggest importer in Europe is, or maybe in the world, is Spain, which he says is like selling ice to the Eskimos. Right, exactly. They've got amazing salt there, and yet yes. they still want the Malden. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know if that's sort of you know English expats or if it's just it's just it has a particular thing about it. I mean, you mentioned that Ferran Adria had endorsed it years right. ago. Um, but I, I do think what's interesting about Malden that there are a lot of these sort of small batch, boutique-y, gourmet salt sort of makers out there. I mentioned Jacobson Salt, which makes a really nice product out in the sort of Portland, Portland yeah. Oregon area. You know, Malden, though, there still is that that flakiness is unique. Um, and that when you get it, you're like, oh, that's Malden. You know? Yeah, I mean, that's that's the idea behind Malden. Yes. But, is it, but the, I, I, I can't say it's unique. Because I haven't tried every salt, I haven't traveled the world in search of. <laughs> but the, I think, but you talk about the guy who's these the the, the, the sommelier, uh, uh, Mark Bitterman. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's 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 amazing. I mean, yeah. I, I I I make light fun of him because he uses the term sommelier, and I don't I haven't seen it applied to anybody else. <laughs> but I mean, when you when you meet him and you talk about salt with him, it's 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 pretty incredible because he he has this shop and he can show you all these different salts from around the world and they're exotic colors and shapes and tastes and who knew. Yes, not, but, not me. but I think what's interesting, you, you know, you will see pink sea salt, you see like the black volcanic rock salt from uh, from Hawaii and stuff, um, but none of it is like Malden. And that's what's so interesting that, you know, Steve Osborne has this product that occurs, not naturally, so to speak, but more or less naturally through a regular process. Right. And it is unlike any other. Right. And, and he knows that. And he was talking about not to pat himself on the back, but he invented the term, uh, what does he say? Right. Like, uh, uh, sea salt flakes. Sea salt flakes, flakes. yes. The, the, the term flakes is their invention. Again, very hard to prove, <laughs> um, but he, you know, he was he was a little edgy about it. Yeah. Uh, but as he as he says at the end of the piece, he's like, "We have this product. The tide comes in, the tide goes out, and sort of, you know, we have it made. You know, yeah. it's like, uh, you know, it's it's like having redwoods or something." I am a fan. I'm an unabashed fan of Malden. Obviously, I think it's unique. I don't think it's the only salt in your kitchen. I still have my giant box of uh, diamond kosher salt or whatever right. that I use for over-salting my pasta water and right. baking and whatnot. I made a, for an article the other day, I did a, a piece with Ignacio Matos, uh, chef at Estella and um, Cafe Ultra Paradiso here in New York. Uh, and he was using, for the salad he was making, this that sort of gray sea salt from France that has an almost sort of wet, sandy texture that's to a, it. That's a Florida cell. Yeah, and the, yeah. there's different types. And like I said, but right. even Florida cell is a, Generic term, right? You know, and and this, some and this stuff was really wet, and it sort of popped in your mouth and had a crunchier texture than the flaky Malden. And he was just saying he liked that. He does use Malden, but he like for this particular salad, he liked that salt. Right, right. And it's interesting you point out early on with Bitterman that there is different salts for different sort of occasions. Right. I mean, it's a little like it's a little like musicians with microphones, right? I mean, there there are sort of there are great microphones, but people like different sounds for different recordings or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. You know, and and the more you get to know about something and yeah. coffee and all these sort yeah. of things, you, you go a bit deeper. You can nerd out and snob out. So your wife you're still buying Malden at home. There's still Malden at home, yeah. Yeah, always. It takes a while to work through a box, even even though I do like to oversalt yeah. things, and even though I am kind of sneaking it on the sly. It's just a pinch, though. It's like so. It's eight dollars is worth it. You got to think of it that way. It stretches out. Do the kids are the kids hip to Malden? You have you have kids. They're they're aware of it now because <laughs> I, I talk about it. What's Daddy doing? He's writing about salt. But, 
Why? Why? <laughs> they'll, they'll learn straight enough when they yeah, live in New yeah. York City in their own apartment and also the, $8 boxes of Malden. Well, you have one here, these little these little tins. Yes. this is. So I have a little Malden tin. Those are nifty. About an inch and a half long, inch wide. Yeah. Um, the kind of like, how would you describe these little tins? Like a camping tin or something. Yeah, like, like, little, like old snuff boxes yeah. or something. Yeah. And I keep it on my desk. And yeah. when I get lunch, you know, you order like a salad from Chopped or somewhere. And you yeah. always, it always needs a little something extra. Right. And then you got, that's what the Maldon's for. Well, I mean, my, my, if I, if I can be said to have had a salt revelation, it was, it was when I was, you know, using the salt here in the cafeteria, those little packets Ugh. didn't do what I wanted it to do, no. which was make something that tasted not very good, taste slightly better. It just saturated it. It, it didn't do anything. Yeah. And I was like, what is it with the salt? Why yeah. is it so lame? And that journey eventually <laughs> had me stumbling into Maldon. <laughs> I can't say I really pursued the question that <laughs> we, we pursued <laughs> that it for intently, you. but thanks to Bon Appetit, I got my answer. Uh, well, <laughs> Nick Palmgarten, thank you, uh, thank you for writing this piece. Uh, you guys can check it out online. What, it was it was in our April issue. The title is "Oh, Salt of the Earth," of course. Right. Uh, written by Nick, some beautiful photography. Check it out at bonappetit.com. And Nick, uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Adam. Great to be here. Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Emma Wurtzman and Carrie Polis and edited by Mitra Kaboli. Our theme music is by Valerie and the Grady's with additional music by Nathaniel Wurtzman. We have new episodes every Wednesday. And if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.